Last week we, we began in this series called The Gospel According to David. And, and, and we talked about, you know, David is a very significant character in the whole story of the gospel. In the story of the Israelites and the Bible and, and the plan and the path that God put everything on as, as he began to set things in motion. David played a key part in establishing the, the Jerusalem and the Israelite community, the country, the, the nation, and establishing their foundation to go forward into the future. And out of that, we know out of the Davidic line, came Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that it was through Jesus Christ that we received salvation. So David is a key figure in Scripture. But we can look at many of the lessons and many of the, the, the stories of David and the life that he lived and what he went through, and we can see parallels between many of the messages that Christ himself taught us while he walked upon this earth. So that's what we want to do is over, is over the next couple of weeks is we want to continue to look at David, the life of David, the stories that, that were written about him and some of his teaching or writings and everything and see how does, how, what can we learn from David in the Old Testament, which many times we talked about this morning, many times we kind of just like to, to leave off to the side or we don't think about it as much, but that we can learn lessons and truths of the gospel message in the life of David. Amen. So today I want to talk about delayed results. Yeah, that's the title of this sermon is, is Delayed Results. You know, if you want to go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23, we're picking up immediately where we left off last week as we read the first part of that chapter. But as you're turning there, just, just, to, just to give you a moment to, to turn, you know, I want to think about waiting. And many times in our life, a, a waiting season comes, or, or we go to the hospital and there's a, a waiting room. You know, when me and Tara had our, our little one, in the middle of all the craziness over the past couple of years, and and really nobody could be there. You know, by the way we went in and, and, and everything, the waiting room is empty. And usually, though, the waiting room is is filled at, at, a, at a pregnancy ward, is filled with, with people that have tense excitement with, with, with being overjoyed and excited about what is about to happen. But I feel like that doesn't really oftentimes tell us and communicate the truth of what it's like to be in a season where we're waiting. More often than not, we don't like to wait. You know, it, it just so happens that, like I, I said last week, we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit with their young people, some of them over in, on D19 on Wednesday nights. And, and I went over the, um, the fruit of the Spirit uh, of patience last week. And I have the elementary boys, okay? All my boys are like seven years and younger. So if you've had a boy, if you've raised a boy or anything, if you had one around in your life, then then you realize in trying to convey the importance of patience to somebody, a little boy of that age, is a difficult thing to do, right? It's hard to help them understand how important to have patience is, what, how meaningful it is to, to wait on certain things, that some things take time to do, and they, and they take seasons to come to fruition, and, and, and it's difficult. And, and, and as I taught the lesson, I was like, I, feel, I do not know if, if I'm getting anything across to these fellas, because like, Patience is just something that, you know, even myself as an adult, I still struggle with. Waiting is still something that, that I don't always do well. Now, I'm, I'm not the best waiter sometimes. I like to, to do things. I like to get a move on things. I like to push things things forward. But what we see here in this scripture that we're about to read is that David himself, after he's anointed by, by Samuel here, he goes into a, a season of waiting. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23, reads like this. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is 
a skillful player, skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son to David, to his son David, to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. It completes that, that chapter. So we look at this story of David, and you know, I want us to understand that this happens... Uh, this, this story takes place after David was anointed. So I think I, I want to look at Here's where we want to start. I want to talk about humble pie. You ever had to eat humble pie? Maybe it's called eating crow or whatever it is. Humble pie. You know, the scripture shows us that Samuel anointed David. A great and wonderful occurrence in David's life, right? Historical when you look back on it through history. A major, a major point of significance in the, the timeline of, uh, of, of the Jews and the Israelite people was David being anointed by Samuel. Just an awe-inspiring time. An awesome occurrence. God has spoken clearly to, to Samuel the prophet and said, this is my man. This is the king. This is the one that will lead my people. This is the one that I'm pleased with. This is the one that I want to, to the people to follow. This is the one that I want to lead. Here, is, here, here he is. This is him. I can't imagine what it had been like to be David in that moment. To have the man of God, which at that time in history was a, was a major player in, in, the, in the politics and everything of, of a country, come to my house, basically ask for me specifically, and then anoint me to be king of my people. I can't imagine what was going through his mind. Well, after Samuel did that, well, what did he do? You know, so... So let's read. Let's go back. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says this. So it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and took David with him and placed him as king. No. So Samuel arose and took David before Saul and said, Saul, your time's up. David's going to be king. No. So Samuel rose and took David with him and said, Come on, buddy, you're the king. We're going to raise an army. We're going to do what we need to do. And we're going to put you on the throne. No. So Samuel rose and went to Rome. He left David. He just goes and anoints David as king. Says, You will be the future king of these, these people. God is not pleased with Saul. God is not happy with what he's done. His spirit has, has, has went away from Saul. He's no longer you know, in, commun- in commune with him. Saul is, has disobeyed God and fallen at a place where he can no longer be king. You're the next king, buddy. I'm going to anoint you. I called you out. I brought you out of the fields. And I'm going to put you. I've I, I basically set you on this course where you will be king. And many of us would expect for Samuel just to take David and, and to start that course right then. But that is not what happened. David stayed home. 
with the same people that just an hour ago had completely overlooked him and failed to invite him to the party, he stays with them. Now being anointed as the future king of Israel. So how do you think that changed David's relationship with his family, David's way he lived his life, how things went, the course of his trajectory until he became king? What happened that was different? Do you think David may have took a larger role in his family? Maybe they gave him more authority. Now he's the the head of the household. Did his family elevate him, give him any more relevance or significance in, in the family structure or anything like that? That's not what we see in Scripture. Because the scripture we just read a moment ago, it says, When Saul sends for David, this is what he says. He says, Send me your son David, who is what? Who is with the sheep. When Samuel came for David, where was David? With the sheep. Even after the anointing of God had fallen upon David, God had chosen him, spoken to the man of God, and said, This is the guy. David still went back to watching sheep. In the totality of it all over the first few years after he was anointed, very little changed in David's life. He didn't become some hero figure. He didn't become the head of his family. He didn't become some leader in his community. He wasn't elevated. He wasn't given a title. He was still David the shepherd. And Saul himself, the king in Jerusalem, knew that he was David the shepherd. So David had to make a decision when Samuel walked out that door. Am I going to try to force myself and and, and put myself in a position where I can get what I want, where I can become king now, where I can have authority now, where I can have power now, where I can get the things that I desire right now? Or will I humble myself and trust in the plan and the timing of God? And we see that that's what David decided to do. No doubt, if you don't understand history at that time, if somebody had a claim to the throne, you know, and and especially if times were bad in that area, then that person could go and and try to begin to to force that claim, to begin to make connections and and raise up warriors and fighters and people to stand by their side where they could overthrow Saul. David had every right to do that because he had the title and the anointing of God upon him as the next king. He could have written around to all the leaders of the other tribes and said, Hey, Samuel has anointed me. He has said I'm the next king. Will you give me your soldiers? Let's turn against Saul. Let's overthrow him so that I can be king so that God can have what he wants. But David said, I will humble myself and trust in God's plan and in God's timing. You know, you might be in a situation, a season in your life where you believe things should be different in your life than they are. Maybe you've you've tried to be obedient. And you've stepped out in faith. You feel the anointing or some calling in your life and you've tried to follow it. Maybe your expectation was when you would receive that calling, when you would follow his, His call, when you would be obedient to Him, that things would change in a radical and a miraculous way. But they didn't. They didn't go the way you expected or the way that you thought they would. You thought, if I'll do this thing that I know I'm supposed to do, then everything else will line up. It doesn't always go that way. If I try to do and follow God, then everyone else will notice and everybody else will recognize and they'll help me do it, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes when you're trying to follow the path of God, you find the most confrontation 
in the most difficult trials of your life in that point. Things don't always just turn on a dime. Sometimes we have to, to humble ourselves and say, God, I'll do what you want me to do, and I know what you told me to do, but, but I'm not going to force my situation. I'm not going to, to get upset when things don't change immediately, but I want to trust your way and I want to trust your timing. And it takes humility to do that. To know that there's something that God is speaking to your life. To know that, that you have a gifting or know that there's something that you want to do for God or, or, or these things and then you, you feel like it's not time. The Lord's saying it's not time, but you want to do it. And you want to step out and you want to go in that direction and you just you want to and you're having that confrontation between do I humble myself or do I put my priorities above what God has desired for me. And we like David have to come to a point where we say it's okay for it not to be right now. It's okay for God to wait. It's okay for God to do something in His time and in His season and wait on Him. You might have done everything right and you've prayed and you've fasted diligently. You, you know you've been chosen by God to do a certain thing in your life or a certain thing in your family or a certain thing in your community. And you tried and you started and you went out and it just seems like things haven't fallen in place yet. But let us trust and be obedient and wait on on God's timing, because sometimes God calls us into something before we're supposed to step into it, because there's there's a time of training between the anointing and the inaction of the anointing. Be anointed before it was time for you to live out that calling in your life. You know, I, I like movies. We talked about that, and as I was studying for this, I got to think about what a, a training montage. Okay. So I don't know if you know what a training montage is, but basically what it is, it's a couple of short clips where they're spliced together, one, you know, back to back to back, where it shows somebody training to do something that they're going to have to do in usually the third part of the movie, the final act of the movie. You can think of Hercules when he goes and he starts training to, to become a hero in Greece. Um, you know, maybe you could think of, of, I think all the Rocky movies have a training montage, okay? Footloose has a great training montage. My favorite's Cool Runnings, and you probably don't even know what that is, but Cool Runnings was was the jam, okay? It was it was a fun movie, and and, and, and it has this training montage of these, these sports making dudes trying to figure out how to run a bobsled down a hill and everything, and, and they're just hilarious, and they're falling and fumbling all over the place, and they, they finally get it down, and, and usually over a training montage, you have this, this inspirational song, this inspiring song, you know, of you can do it, I the tiger, some kind of stuff like that, and, and by the end, they've accomplished what it was they set out to do. A training montage. And I feel like many times in our Christian walk with Christ, we begin to have this expectation that our growth and maturity in our walk with Him should parallel that of a, a training montage. That we come to Christ and we, we, we fall on our knees and we ask Him to save us. We, we ask for forgiveness for our sins and, and zip, zam, zoom and everything's Everything lines up and we're a super Christian now and, and we're doing great and everything's fine and, and we've figured out all the issues and we know what to do and we know how to follow in his footsteps and, and we know where to go, where we need to go and we know what to do and we know what to say and, and we think it just happens like that. But many times it, it doesn't work that way because part of your journey with Christ is allowing him to train you and grow you and that often takes time. It often takes time for that training and that growth to occur. When I started preaching, I started when I was 14 years old. 
was raised in a preacher's home. So I've been around church all my life. I've seen different styles of preaching. Um, I knew, you know, how people did it, okay? And set to the call at 14 and had a schedule to come preach. My home church, so everybody I knew, okay? People I was familiar with. Um, and I go up and I study and prepare. Not as much as I do now. Um, but I had a thought and was going to go preach it. And somebody bought me a nice suit, and I dressed up fancy, and I was looking good. First time I'd probably been in anything like that in my whole life. And we sang and prayed, and they you know, had me come up, and everybody you know, clapped their hands. Here's this young boy going to preach and everything. I opened up the Bible, and I read my scripture, and for about three minutes I stood there like this. I said, Jesus loves us, and he's a good guy, and we need to follow him, and we need to do what he tells us to do, and there's good news in the gospel, and we need to listen to it, and everything's okay. And I closed the Bible, and I sat down. I was done. Okay? I was as awkward as you could think of. Okay? You think of your first book report that you gave in school, and I was worse than that. It was bad. It was bad, okay? I mean, and everybody shook my hand and pat me on the back and said, did a good job, and I think, Oh, really didn't, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, it was probably really rough, felt a little rough around the edges. You know, I don't, don't know what I'm doing. Um, I wasn't where I knew I needed to be. And just because I accepted the calling that God put on my life didn't automatically make me a Charles Stanley or a Billy Graham. It didn't make me somebody that could effectively and thoroughly communicate the depths and the complexities of Scripture. It didn't make me somebody that could confidently stand before a congregation of people and, and expound these truths that are hard truths oftentimes that challenge us and that point out flaws in our life and, and make us think about things. It, it didn't make me somebody who understood how to, to talk to people and understood how to keep people engaged in a, in a speech or in a sermon. It, it didn't automatically make me a great preacher. When I realized that I'm still working on becoming a better preacher, but it's the training that God has put me through from that point to now. You know, I stayed that way. I say the first five sermons I preached together didn't break 15 minutes. You could have put it all on one of the, like an eight. I mean, like you could have put like my whole year's first sermons on like one of the first CDs and still had room for a couple of songs. You know, I mean, like there was not a lot of content there. And it developed. I got a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Now Dave's telling me I need to preach less and he's, Saying, you're going into 40 minutes, Jacob, and I need to go eat. And I'm like, David, I'm sorry. I don't really mean to. But... but we learn and we grow. That growth doesn't happen unless we allow and embrace the time of training that God desires for us to have. But here's the guarantee that I will give you. That if you do embrace that time of training, that season of training that God is wanting for you, that there will be results. There will be results. David is described in two different ways in this first chapter, in verse 12 and in verse 18. We're going to read his description of him in both those here in just a second. As we read it, look at it. Look at how he was described before his anointing, before his season of training, before he just humbled himself and allowed God to grow him and mature him, and then look at how he's, he is described afterwards. Okay? 1 Samuel 16, verse 12 says... Talking of David. Now he was Rudy with bright eyes and good looking. That's it. Rudy with bright eyes and good looking. First Samuel 16, 
verse 18. Six verses later. Now this encompasses a few years of him still being out in the in the fields and everything, but this isn't too, this is just allowing him to have some time of training with God. And this is somebody speaking to Saul about David. Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Do we see the change? Do you see the growth? If Samuel would have took David the moment he anointed him, he would have been a king that was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. But because Samuel knew that David needed time to mature, that David needed time to grow, that he needed time in training with God, with God speaking into him and pouring into him where David could become the man of God that he needed to be, Israel didn't get a king that was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. They got a king that was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord was with him. Because David embraced the time of training that God wanted him to have, Israel got a better king. David became a better man, a better leader, a better authority figure, a better person that went after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. And that is the result of embracing the time of training that God wants to have with you. It's not just a training montage. Because I'm going to let you in on something. In Footloose, when they did the training montage, and one guy taught the other guy how to dance, the other guy actually knew how to dance before the montage ever happened. When we go into life and we accept our calling or we move into a place where we try to be more effectively, uh, an effective servant of Christ in, in the world, to the world around us, we don't know everything we need to know beforehand. And that training to become more prepared and, and more effective and more mature takes time to become who it is that God wants us to be. To become who it is that, that God desires for us to be. To be the better version of ourselves. So we can look at this and we can see what a difference a little time allowing God to pour in us can have on a person's life. God called David before he had done any great things. We talked about that last week. David had just watched sheep. That's all he'd done with his life. The lowest position in the family, in the community, was a shepherd. He was stinky. He stayed with the sheep. He wasn't anything anything special. He was just a ruddy boy with bright eyes and good looking. And God anointed him before he'd done anything. But guess what? God didn't leave him in that shape. But he prepared him to do the great things that God had in store for him through that season of training. And we talked about last week that, that God will anoint you, God will call you, God will love you, God will save you before you do any of the good things that He has in store for your life. But once He has done that anointing, once He's done that saving, once He, is, he has you, He's not going to just say, okay, now do all the great things I expect of you. He's going to say, let me prepare you for the plan that I have for you so that we can more readily do what it is that God is calling us to do. So what can we do to embrace the seasons of training that we go through? Is that we do whatever lies before me. I heard a, uh, a preacher one time give this story. He says that he went up and he said, you know, he's fresh out of seminary. And uh, knew that he was called to preach and felt that heavily on his on his life, and 
after graduating, he went and, and found a church in a small community uh, that was looking for a pastor. He accepted the pastorship, and uh, him and his wife went to move there. And this man had great ambitions for this ministry. He dreamed of a, a thriving youth ministry for all the, the kids in that town came. He, he dreamed of the, the congregation being full every every Sunday morning. He dreamed of a revival just rolling through the town and seeing people come and be saved every week. And he had these grand ambitions. And then he finally arrived and he began to start filling the roles of the pastor. And he realized that the congregation wasn't as big as he thought it thought it would be. The facilities were a little bit more dated than he expected. And the average age of the of the congregant of the member was, was waxing pretty late on in life. And it was so much so that the church couldn't afford to have a janitor come and clean and, and none of the members were physically able, due to health and, and age, to, to come and clean the church and the responsibility failed to this man and his wife. And about six months into their ministry, he says that he was in a bathroom one day cleaning a, changing a trash bag. When um, he said he, he just got to a point where he just broke down and cried. He said, he said, Lord, you, I know you called me to preach, and I know you called me to enact chains for the glory of your kingdom, not to change trash bags. He said, God spoke to me in that moment. He said, I called you to shepherd this flock. And that means to do whatever I put in front of you to do. So changing trash bags is changing and enacting change for my kingdom. And he said, from that moment, his, his idea of what ministry was changed. To the point that every role that he had to fill at that time in the church, he took just as seriously as the preparation he did for the Sunday morning sermon. Whether it be changing a trash bag or wiping a counter down or whatever it was, preparing the music or preparing the sermon, he took it all just as seriously because whatever God put in front of him was what God had for him to do. And I, and I look at David and we can see that same mentality living out in him. Because while David waited on God to move him into his kingship, to put him on the throne that God had promised him, to put him over as ruler of all of Israel, and to enact that promise in his life, David remained engaged with God. He didn't say, well, I'll wait till I'm king, and then I'll be a godly man. He didn't say, I'll wait until they, they coronate me, and, and then I'll follow you. But he stayed engaged with God even when the promise wasn't fulfilled. Even when the anointing wasn't being lived out in his own life, David stayed engaged and active with his relationship with God. You know, what if David had said, well, I'm king now, when the bear and the lion showed up. He said, kings don't chase after bears and lions and just let them take the, the sheep. What if David would have looked at his, his dad the next morning when he said, well, it's time to go back out to, to shepherd the sheep and, and said, but, but I'm going to be king one day, Daddy. I shouldn't have to, to watch the sheep. What if when they came calling for David to come play for Saul, 
David said, but I'm going to be king one day. Why do I have to listen to this king that God's going to remove in time? What if David would have ignored the thing in front of him because he was so focused on the thing that was far ahead of him? What is it in your life that maybe you've been ignoring, that you've pushed aside, that you've not taken as as important in your life because you're too focused on something in the distant future. You're so, so focused on something else, something out there. Many times there's there's people that, that are, are so you know consumed by certain aspects of their future and, and planning it ahead that they fail to see what God is wanting them to do in the moment of how He's wanting them to serve in the moment and live for Christ in the moment. If David would have failed to chase off the lion and the, and the bear, then when he goes for, for Goliath, where would his confidence come from? If he would have failed to watch the sheep, then, then guess what? Whenever he goes and commits adultery, and the prophet comes and gives this, this parable about somebody who was stolen sheep, David wouldn't have cared about sheep because he was living at home while somebody else was, was watching the sheep. If he hadn't have recreated this relationship with Saul, then, then guess what? David wouldn't have gotten to the positions where he was able to fight battles. And they would sing the songs of Saul's killed his thousands and David's killed his tens of thousands. That He wouldn't have become a person of interest, of importance in the people of Israel. They wouldn't have seen who David was. They wouldn't have trusted him. They wouldn't have believed in him. But because David went to Saul and Saul called, God provided that way. What if that thing that's right in front of you right now opens up doors of what God's wanting you to be and do in the future? What if being obedient in the moment is what provides the opportunity to do that thing that you feel called to do, but that that opportunity hasn't presented itself right now? I am... Once I announced my calling to preach, preached and evangelized for... I don't know, several years. Um, My desire was to pastor... It was to it was to to go and to and, and to help a church grow and, and to help see a congregation thrive and life be renewed and, and these things and I was talking to Mark the other day and you know I, I interimed at several places and I I'm like man this is I'm going to pastor here and it just never went out. Um, and got to the point where it was it was it was a frustrating thing seeing people that that it had had been speaking um, not as long as I have. Not as much that I have getting opportunities to pastor, and I was continuing to be overlooked. And I realized that I just need to do what it is that God puts in front of me to do. That the congregation that's there that day preach to them. If I'm filling in for one service or intrumming for three months, preach to them. Whatever it is that's in front of me, do that, and not be concerned about what God's plan, the eventualities of God's plan in the future. So we came here. And I don't know if all of you know this, but before, I think I told Mark, I told some, um, before I took this church, I entered for another church for a couple months um, back home with Parsonage. And I mean, nice church. I knew the people I was comfortable with. I'd grown up with a lot of them. Um, I didn't take it, obviously. You know, I guess you knew that. Um, but I didn't take it. Um, I, I knew it wasn't what God wanted for my life. And the Jacob, early on in his ministry, wouldn't have done that. But it was the lessons that I learned through the rejection, through being turned down, overlooked, passed over, 
for positions that I learned that do what God has put in front of me now. And then God will, God's plan will still come to fruition in His eventuality. And it wasn't the next week, I guess, that Mark called me and had me come up here. You know, when I came in, and I just, I, I told Tara, I said, I said, by this time, came in in October, I said, by well, this time next year, I want to run an 85 to 100 every, every week. We didn't get to that, you know. I became so consumed with the distant plan that I probably was overlooking some of the things in the moment. And God reminded me, do what's in front of you. My plan will come to fruition when my time is, is here. And we need to recognize that in our, in our life that, you know, just because we feel God leading us in a certain direction doesn't mean He's leading you into that tomorrow. Just because we, we've been saved doesn't mean that that we're going to be this, this awesome Christian the next day or the next week or the next month or even the next year. Just because some things have changed doesn't mean everything changes. But it does mean that now that you have this anointing, that you're in the path that you need to be. And that God's path will lead you and keep you where you need to be. And keep you going towards His direction. I'm thankful that David didn't just look at what was before him and say, that's not really important because I'm king. I'm going to be king. But that he he followed it and he pursued it and he accomplished whatever it was that was before him. The lion and the bear and Goliath and the sheep and Saul and doing all these things. Every battle that came to face, every time that he was put in danger's way, everything that he had to, to go through, he faced it because he knew that if he continued to follow what was in front of him, what God laid ahead of him, it would eventually lead him to where God had promised to take him. And you might be sitting there and you feel like God has promised you something. And maybe you've read these promises in the Bible and you feel like, man, where is that? Where's that power? Where's the results? Where's that good stuff that I've been searching for? Be faithful in what you're facing right now. And God will be faithful to deliver you into what He needs you to be tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. But I'm thankful, so thankful for for David that we see that. And, and not only do we see David live that out, but then we see that same character in Jesus. He's born, he's born into the world. He lives his life. And he could have just said, I want to go, and I'm going to let him crucify me, and that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to be involved with those low lives. I'm not going to be involved with those sinners. I'm not going to go talk to, to Zacchaeus. I'm not going to go talk to the woman at the well. I'm not going to go on my way to do these things. Peter is just a troublesome guy that's always got anger issues. I don't need that bother in my life. But he said, no. He said, what it is that the, my, my God, my Father has put in front of me, that's what I'll do. And without that, we don't get the Gospels. We don't get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't get Paul coming in these things. We don't get the disciples going out. If Jesus would have just looked at the long-term plan, but Jesus followed what was ahead of him today. And what was in his path today. And eventually it did lead him to the cross. But it also led Peter to repentance. And it led, it led John to go and to write these, some of these epistles. It led them to ultimately having a relationship with, with Paul and, and, and him establishing his epistles and his churches. And it, it established the foundations and the fruit of, the, uh, of everything that God wanted to do as the church began to spread. But if Jesus would have overlooked the, what was in front of him instead of what was way off in the distance, then, then we wouldn't have had all that. So don't forsake or don't... Don't think that what's right in front of you at this moment isn't important that you, because you're a Christian or because you think you have, have a, a, a great role to fill one day in your life that, that these things are of less significant to you. Whatever it is that God puts in front of you, do it. 
However it is that God asks you to serve, do it. Don't wait for that one thing you want to do. Find something that you can do. Don't wait for the right season to serve, but find somewhere that you can serve in whatever season it is in your life. Don't wait for everything to work out and just everything be perfect. There's never a wrong time to be obedient to God. So be obedient in what's in front of you. And then whatever's after that, be obedient in it. And whatever's after that, be obedient in it. And the next day, and the next day, and if you just keep doing, and you keep being obedient, and you keep serving, and you keep following Him, you'll be surprised when one day you look up and you're at where you thought you were supposed to be months ago. But because you took God's way, you ended up there. And you weren't just that rudy, glassy-eyed little fella that was a little bit good-looking, but you were a man of valor, and a man of war, and a man of God that was filled with the Lord. And you end up in the place that you needed to be and that you thought you were going to be, but you end up there a whole lot better off than you would have been three months ago or six months ago or four years ago or seven years ago. This application applies to our our spiritual walk. It applies to relationships. It it applies to families. It applies to all kinds of things. Maybe you wanted a kid yesterday, but God knew you weren't ready for a kid yesterday. Now, three years later, that you're, you feel you know you're a better wife, and you know you're a better mama, you know you're a better daddy, and you're more prepared for that. You want her to be married in your 20s, and now you're 30, or you're 40, and you're like, you just feel like you're this old person that's never going to have anybody. But you're the better person today than you would have been back then. And God has prepared you for where you're supposed to be going now. So let's not get in a hurry, but let's humble ourselves and trust in God's plan and in God's path for our life, and it'll lead us where we need to go. But allow Him to train you and grow you and mature you in the meantime.